Hello, my name is Lori Koppelman. I am thrilled you are here listening to this first episode of Clutter Chronicles, One Woman's Journey Through Stuff. This podcast will be an ongoing conversation with Mary, who describes herself as having an unusual relationship with stuff. What's unique about this podcast series is that Mary is in the midst of her recovering from this unusual relationship and is now able to call herself a recovering hoarder. She agreed to speak with me openly in hopes that it would be helpful to others, maybe others who also have an unusual relationship with stuff, or maybe the people who live with them. We have no idea where this journey is taking us. Will she fully recover? Will it be too hard? In this very first episode, we discuss where she thinks it all started. And if you're anything like me, you're going to be fascinated listening to Mary's story. Hi, this is Lori and Mary. We're sitting at my dining room table on a rainy Tuesday in September. And we're doing this because we had an idea this summer. Mary reached out to me in June to thank me for some work we had done together when she was a client of mine at the Basilica. And we got together in July to chat, and we could not stop talking about clearing clutter and our interest in what the barriers are to that and all the work that Mary's been doing to get rid of things. And so that day we got this crazy idea that we were going to sit down together and record ourselves talking. And this is it. This is day one. We've been so excited to do this. We've been trying not to talk the rest of the summer so that we could capture some of what's been going on. So Mary, hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. Um, So what I wanted to ask you first of all is uh, what do you call yourself when you think about things and stuff and clutter? What, What do you, do you call yourself a hoarder? Is that a word that you use? It, it took me a long time to be able to admit that I was a hoarder. Um, I think I used to call myself a pack rat or someone who likes stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I could really admit that I had this hoarding problem and um, recognize that it didn't define me, but that it's something I fight with, I could talk about it more openly. And now I like to call myself a recovering hoarder. Oh, I love that. <laughs> What do you consider, uh, like, what would you have the definition of hoarder in your brain be? Do you have a definition? I would say it's um, someone who has an unusual relationship with stuff. Somehow that stuff has been what's kind of kept them alive. Like, maybe they've clung to it during some desperate times in their lives. And it's, it's kind of been something that has... Um, given them just the ability to make it through the day. And so, um, in my case, I would say that it's what kept me from going kind of nutty through some real terrible times in my life. And, of course, I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. But in looking back, I I recognized that that was what was kind of pulling me out of the darkness. But then what happens is you can have an unusual relationship, as in, even a paper clip, if it's yours, if someone throws it out, it could destroy you. Where you feel everything you own is an extension of yourself. And so if someone looks at it as trash or 
puts it down, it's as if it's my own art project that they've hmm. taken apart. Oh, wow. Unusual yeah. relationship with stuff. I love that. <laughs> yeah. When do you think, I want to get some historical perspective from you a little bit. Um, were you like this when you were younger? I think, or not like this, did you have an unusual relationship with stuff? I think I always have. Yeah? Um, there's, there's also something, at least for me, where there's a, um unrealistic expectation. Uh, a, a good example is, I think I was like in first grade when I found out that um, paper was made from trees. And I love trees. And when I realized that paper was made from trees, I was horrified by that. And I remember thinking, any piece of paper I've ever used to honor those trees, I'm never throwing out. And I remember keeping piles of, like, my art projects or whatever I did in elementary school. And uh, I did have an epiphany at a young age. I thought, hmm, uh, I think I go to school for 12 years, and if I did this every day, where would I be? And I realized I had to throw out the paper. So Mm -hmm. I was still in a situation where I could think logically as a whatever-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had the tendency, and it's kind of like a overcompensating or feeling of guilt or or feeling like the rest of the world doesn't see what I see kind of thing. So it was about um, basically um, grieving that we cut down trees and turn it into paper. Well, that's... <laughs> That's very tender and sweet and good-hearted. It does not. This doesn't sound like a dark thing. No, no. But I think um, that idea that you had—that you were right. so connected to trees—right? That that's, I've just never heard of anyone <laughs> saying that before. Well, I, and I, I've always had this deep um, concern for the environment, and I—I I remember being really young. I think maybe. I remember probably as early as five, uh, we would have like appliances replaced in our house. And there's that that time where you don't know what to do with the appliances. This is back when they didn't pick them up immediately, and you had to figure out what to do with them. And so they would sit out in the garage, and I would I had this deep need to clean the garage. I was very tidy, and I wanted everything where it should be. And I'd see these appliances that are waiting to be hauled away, and I'd, I'd, I'd think, um, someday everything will be able to be recycled. I remember that that all we had that we could recycle was uh, newspaper and bottles, and cans were just starting to become. You had, you, had, you had to determine if they're aluminum or steel or whatever. I'm going to jump in one second just to give some perspective. What year were you born? Give us some idea of... Oh, of 1968. Okay. So things were just starting to be recycled yep. when you were a young girl. Okay. Yep. So the reason why I bring all that up is um, there is, I, I think, a sensitivity in people who save things towards the idea that everything's throw you know you can throw anything away everything is so is supposed to be used once and tossed and it's usually goes in hand with um being a creative person 
and wanting to use an item for what it, not necessarily what it's intended, mm-hmm. its original intention. And so you'll think about things in a different way. And I had this thing about if there was a lot of something, it was interesting to me. And if there was just one, it was interesting to me. <laughs> so, there's, yeah. so if I saw a bunch of cups that were a certain shape and it was unusual, I tended to keep those because of their uniqueness. Yet if I could only find one, I would keep it too. But if you had a pile of them, well, then what can you do with a bunch of cool things? You know, So there's a kind of a creativity in there. Mm-hmm. And I would say that all these things are good, but then somehow in my childhood I had some kind of trauma, some kind of problem that made it all kind of go awry. So these aren't necessarily all bad things. Right. It's just that um, not being able to comprehend things that were happening to me when I was when I was going through things. I would tend to cling to, like as a young child, I'd cling to stuffed animals. And as I got older, I got um, really into clothing and accessories. And it kind of became like a statement of who I am. And what's interesting is it's also a way to mask who you are. So, right. you, you know, this is what a cool person does, so I'm going to do that. Um, this is going to hide whatever I'm feeling. And so it became kind of, how can I get um, the coolest stuff? And then it gets to a point where it's almost showing off. Um, If I got cool stuff faster or better than everyone else, therefore I must be pretty cool. (laughs) So I would say that um, where my hoarding got really off to a big start with the clothing and accessories and trying to dress in the the latest outfits and trying to be on the edge of of what people were wearing and and when is this in your life how old are you at this point i think it was junior high okay um when i think about it and you know there's this pressure to have the right jeans and the right tennis shoes and I I never felt like I ever had those. Like, I remember being able to borrow my friend's Nike. Is it Nike or Nike? I always, I don't know. But anyway, tennis shoes, and we had the the red swoosh. And I felt so cool when I was wearing those shoes. But I knew there was no way I'd ever get my, my parents to buy me those. And they were pretty, you know, logical. Why would you spend money on those when you already have tennis shoes kind of thing? Right. So... I learned different ways of standing out, I guess, to, again, mask what was going on. And um, I would borrow my mom's old clothes, and I'd start wearing vintage clothes, and I would mix them with new. And Anyway, so that would lead to wanting to shop. In the beginning, I couldn't shop, but then when I started working, I'd say about 15, 16, I started having jobs. Right. Um, I could start spending on things that I wanted to buy. Freedom, right? Freedom. <laughs> freedom. Yep. I remember there was a store in, uh, I think it was over off of, uh, uh, I forget where it was, what the name of the area was, but it was called Glad Rags. And 
my mom loved it too, so we'd just go and we'd shop and, you know, we'd see what kind of bargains you could get. And it was always, how many things could you buy? It was mm-hmm. always that thing. It was never necessarily, I need a shirt, so therefore I'm going to go buy this shirt. It was, oh, I have money, I'm going to go shopping. It, so it's kind of backwards. And uh, so, I, you know, I enjoyed that. And I think I was pretty much under control until um, I got a little older and my neighbors would have garage sales. And we kind of had this unwritten rule in our family that you don't buy used clothing. I don't know. I think I got it from my mom. She was just, she, it kind of irked her to buy used clothing. Were Glad Rags new clothes? Glad Rags was new. Oh, okay. Yep. I made it up yep. in my head that I know. that was a... I know. That's funny. I, I would love to find out who who, who did that store, but mm-hmm. it was it was new clothes. Okay. But I remember kind of following her rule, and then one day I go to this garage sale, and I saw something really, really cute. And it was used, of course. And I thought, well, I could just buy this. I'll wash it. I'll get home and wash it immediately. Whatever she thought, I don't know. She just didn't like... It's something, I think, from growing up that she right. had a hard time with. You must be poor if yeah, you're buying... Yeah, right. Maybe that's what it was. Taking used clothes. Right. So I bought that, and I think I maybe did that a couple times. I don't know if this was in junior high. I'm guessing it's around junior high. And once it clicked that I could buy a really cute shirt... Make it look like I'm as cool as the popular girls. For 25 cents? I mean, it's like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. So I started loving garage sales. But I didn't really start doing true garage sailing until years later. Um, when I was growing up and out of college, um, that's when it got really bad. So I should I should back up. While I was in college, um, whenever there was a big test, I'd get on the bus and I'd go to Dayton's and go shopping. <laughs> I forgot about that, oh, but that oh. was my way of of soothing my anxiety. I didn't want to study. I thought I was going to fail. It was this anxiety about tests. And so I would just go shopping instead, and I would go to these sections in Dayton's where the things were like 97 cents, and I'd buy because they were cheap, not necessarily the best thing for me. And so I guess the pattern is is that more is more in my mind. The more I could get, the better. And I'll deal with it later how to make it fit. And so if I bought something for 99 cents that was you know, too large, I would take it home and I'd tweak it. Oh, so it wouldn't even have, necessarily have to fit. Right. Okay. <laughs> and um, so there's a couple things going on with that. I, I was, you know, trying to look cool, trying to pretend I'm someone I'm not, and then spending money um, not very logically, but in my mind it was. And if your whole purpose in life is to keep this facade that you're cool, then it's actually using the money wisely, right? Because you have to keep that up. Right. It's a full-time job. It is a full-time <laughs> job. And, and then you have this anxiety on the side, or maybe not right. even on the side, I don't know, um, that that 
helps the retail therapy right. um, that we hear is alive and well. Right. And, and all of us have done that for various reasons. Yeah. Um, yours was for tests. Was was it for other things, oh, too? Oh, it was everything. It was but everything. I think what, what stands out was the test because it was such an absurd thing to do. I really needed to study. <laughs> and, it, and it seemed like the more important the problem, the more likely I'd get on a bus and go to Dayton's. And it was just kind of a thing I did. And years later... Uh, I dated a guy who lived out of town, and whenever I'd put him on the plane, I'd go shopping. That was how I dealt with the anxiety of us being, you know, separated, of him flying, you know, of all those unknowns, feeling lonely, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. I'd just Mm -hmm. go shopping. Mm -hmm. So that was a pattern for, you know, most of my life was feel bad, go shopping. And I think I justified a lot of it because a lot of my shopping would be at estate sales or garage sales, so it was cheap, right. so you could buy more. And I remember I lived in a, um, I lived in a efficiency in Uptown, and I started a job in um, northeast Minneapolis, kind of, and a friend introduced me to estate sales. She's the one who showed me the ropes. And we joke that, you know, she was the beginning and the end. <laughs> are you still friends? Yeah, we are. <laughs> and she under, she totally gets this. And her mom actually had, like, a resale shop I had heard about. And uh, I was intrigued by that, but I hadn't entered that world yet. Um, I was... Um, in from the 80s on, I started selling stuff at consignment shops because I started recognizing I have a lot of stuff. And I was notorious for finding consignment shops that just started that didn't have any idea what they're doing, and I would dump a whole bunch of clothing on them, mm-hmm. and they would sell it. But then after me, they'd say, these are the only kind of clothing we're going to take. <laughs> like they would learn from me, uh-huh. oh, this stuff doesn't sell. <laughs> but I got it out of my house, right? So wow, you sniffed those I was, out I well. I would sniff them out because it was so <laughs> funny. I'd be like, oh my gosh, they take all this crap? That'd be great, you know? So I'd get it to them. They'd sell for a while, and then pretty soon they'd get kind of picky. Their standards <laughs> developed, huh? <laughs> exactly. So um, I would say that was, that was probably like the portal to the hoarding was the clothing. And, you know, it didn't really stop there, obviously. The gateway drug. Yeah, it was the gateway drug. And um, to this day, I would say I still have problems with clothing. Like, I go to Target, and I make sure I go an hour before they close so I can't lollygag. Or I go with my husband, Mm -hmm. who doesn't shop. And I feel the pull. Mm -hmm. But... um, Hmm. So it's still there, so I'm not cured. <laughs> right. It sounds like you're a lot more aware, and I want to talk to you about, about when the awareness started happening for you. Yeah. Um, and we'll do that in our next conversation. How okay. does that sound? It sounds good. Thanks for, for that, Mary. It's you're fun welcome. talking to you always. Thank you. That ends today's Chronicle. This has been the first of many conversations with Mary about her unusual relationship with stuff. It's complicated. She didn't get here overnight, and unraveling the barriers takes time. 
I think she's funny, insightful, and has stories upon stories about her journey, and I'm smitten with her. Going forward, you can find our future podcast episodes on Patreon. For those of you unfamiliar with Patreon, it's a place for creators to connect with patrons, people like you, who want to support work that they feel is valuable, usually for a very nominal amount. You can send us your questions or comments on our Clutter Chronicles Patreon site or on Twitter at ClutterCron. Thank you so much for listening, and please share with anyone you feel would find it helpful. See you next time.